Heroes of Legend, Chapter 2 Read by Jeannie Calvar Fifteenth day of the month of Hida, 1123, somewhere alongside the drowned Merchant River. Falling snow blanketed the road east toward Toshirambo, obscuring the path that lay before Ekoma Sinari and leaving her directionless and uncertain. Somewhere across the river, to the north, a hostile Unicorn Clan army was also weathering the heavy drifts. Somewhere ahead of her, to the east, Champion Matsusuko's army was preparing for a siege of Toshirambo. And behind her, the respected commander Kayasuke had lost a critical village to the unicorn and was captured in the process. Her agent had failed to rescue the commander, but it was her army that had failed to reclaim the village before the river froze over and the trees lost all vestiges of life. The Battle of Four Roads had been closely fought, and Sonari and her soldiers were tired and hungry. Their supplies had long run dry, with no indication from her superiors that more food and equipment could be spared. She relied now on the villages they captured to sustain her troops. Even the castle of the Swift Sword could not feed her army through the winter, forcing them to live off the snow-shrouded plains. It was unsustainable. Sonuri could only hope that her champion would have good news for her. But Sonuri had many reasons to doubt that she would see her troops fed and rested. The scrolls she carried had barely left her side, or her thoughts, since the ronin had first delivered them to her. At first glance, she had found them to be little more than the routine records of the late Commander Kayosuke's campaign, quartermaster's reports, missives to and from nearby regional lords, orders that had been relayed to him from the family daimyo through the clan's chief ambassador, and the like. Sonuri kept similar records herself. But Kayasuke's army had not suffered the same supply shortages that hers had, and Ambassador Ikoma Ujiaki's messengers openly acknowledged it. Believe what people say, little viper, but remain vigilant. The hypocrisy of the deceitful will reveal them, and you will know who can be trusted. It was a lesson that she had taken to heart, not only because it had come from her father. Why would the clan's leadership supply the army at Yojin no Shiro? And the army besieging Kuden Kakita throughout both of their months-long campaigns, yet allow Sonuri's soldiers to scavenge for supplies at every turn. If Ujiaki knew of her shortages... Did their family daimyo, Anakazu, also know? Had he agreed to it? General! It was Matsubiona, one of Sonuri's more dangerous lieutenants. The rumble of her approaching horse's hooves was muffled in the drift of fresh snow that covered the road. Enemy scouts along the riverbank. Dose believes they may have already spotted us. The frozen surface of the drowned merchant river paralleled the road. In the fog and snow, Sonuri could barely make out the shapes of horses and their riders. They stood still, seemingly watching over the lion retinue. 
Then we pick up the pace and hope they did not, Sunuri responded. Biona scowled. You will not send a warrior to silence them? They will surely set an ambush out for our return, or attack the troops while we are meeting with the champion. They cannot while the snow continues, and neither can we overextend our own limited forces. Biona kicked her horse forward until they rode side by side. Her face, still painted white for war, showed concern. You cannot expect them to simply leave us be. I can do it, General. You would not have to risk any of the other lieutenants. Say the word, and I will strike them down before they can return to their champion. I will not. This was not the decision of a good commander, and she knew it. Any tactical information gained by their enemy could be put to use against them, and their position on the road was vulnerable. Okoto's leadership warned that commanders should hide weaknesses and project strength in warfare. Were she trying to defeat the enemy army, Sunuri would send Biona to bring down the enemy's scouts without hesitation. But the sack of Onomura lingered in her mind. She still sometimes dreamed about the corpse fires of peasants who had resisted her capture of their village, peasants whose slaughter she had ordered, when it became necessary. Those peasants could no longer serve the unicorn now, it was true. But this was not their conflict. Had her army been properly supplied, perhaps it would not have been necessary. After months of fighting with the unicorn over scraps of storehouses, Sonori could no longer imagine the glory of victory. Dreams of a decisive win had given way to memories of dying friends and hungry nights. You are not wrong to be wary of the enemy scouts, Lieutenant, Sonori said, but we are no threat to them, and with the snowfall, they are no threat to us. I will not allow you to instigate a retaliation with a preemptive attack. You are putting too much trust in the enemy showing us mercy. If they attack while we are separated from our army, those deaths will be on your head. They already are! It came out harsher than Sonuri intended, and louder. For a moment, the entire retinue paused at her outburst. Thank you for your vigilance, Lieutenant, but no one will engage the enemy at this time. Bayona pulled the reins of her horse and rode to the back of the retinue with a scowl. Sunuri wiped her nose at the cold and realized her face was flushed. With a wave, she signaled that they pick up the pace, and her lieutenants followed. Across the river, the unicorn scouts, who had been standing still and watchful throughout, turned their horses and rode into the snowfall. By the time Sonuri and her lieutenants arrived at Matsusuko's war camp, the sun had fallen to the horizon, and exhaustion had settled upon them. The sight of makeshift palisades and lion banners elicited a half-hearted cheer from some of her samurai, but the best Sonuri could manage was a thin smile. Ashigaru in cotton garb emerged from around their campfires, hurrying to retain what warmth they could as they took the reins from Sonuri's followers. When one reached for Sonori's horse, the commander pulled the reins away. I must see the champion at once. Where is she? In the big tent with Lady Kikita, most likely. Yashigaru, a middle-aged woman still dressed in her armor, replied with a gesture toward the center of the camp. Lady Kikita? Sonori looked to the tent in question, 
as if it would somehow provide an answer to her confusion. Very well, then. Stable my horse while I speak with Matsuue. Yes, ma'am. The Ashigaru took the horse as Tsunari dismounted. She hurried toward the command tent, her mind racing with yet more unanswered questions. Sonori couldn't think of anyone who would fit the description of Lady Kikita from nearby Toshi Rambo. Perhaps the wife of the Kikita Daimyo had left his castle before its destruction, or the diplomat, who had been staying in Matsuseishin's court, had been given leave to depart. But when the crane champion was stationed in the city, why would either of them be negotiating with Suko on her behalf? After one of the door guards reported Sonori's arrival, the young general was admitted. The biting cold that had been clawing its way through her clothes and boots yielded to a still heat from the central hearth. Matsusuko stood near it, a table haphazardly covered in papers and small figurines beside her. Across from her, a tall, austere lady, dressed in a fine blue-silver winter kimono, sat before a calligraphy set and pondered an incomplete composition. "'You have traveled through quite a harsh storm to meet with me, General Lakoma,' Suko said in greeting. The crane woman also acknowledged the young commander, but said nothing. Sunuri bowed. "'It is of the utmost importance,' Sunuri replied. She looked nervously at the Kikita. "'I apologize for interrupting. I did not know you had company.' The Lady Kikita Barahimi has been my guest since our escape from her late castle, and she shall continue to remain so until I have resolved my grievance with the Crane Champion over the death of my betrothed, if that can still be managed. Is that not why you have come to Toshi Rambo? Sonori asked. It was, Suko admitted. Her voice was low, almost hesitant, wholly unlike the fervor that Sonori had come to know from the older woman. But the Crane, along with the forces of the Scorpion and Phoenix, are preparing to march their armies south, and I do not think it wise to delay them. Sonori's confusion must have been clear on her face, as Barahimi explained. Lord Bayushi Shoju has violently seized control of the Forbidden City with an army of Imperial Legionnaires and loyal Scorpions. He now, reportedly, sits upon the Emerald Throne, having murdered the Emperor and declared himself in league with the Shadowlands. Sonuri was without words. The news of the Emperor's death had been sad. But to think now that it was a direct assault upon heaven and by the forces of Fu Leng himself. But there is more, Suko said. Shoju's armies, including the Imperial Legions, are being led by Ambassador Ujiaki. She is quite capable of feeding her own soldiers, one way or another. Ujiaki's words had been meant only for Commander Kayasuke, but Sonori doubted that she would ever forget them. He had allowed her soldiers to starve, if not actively engineered it, and now he had betrayed the Empire and sided with the Shadowlands by allying with an evil usurper. How could this be? And yet... I will admit that I have my own reasons to mistrust the ambassador, Sonari admitted. It was one of the reasons I have come to meet with you. However, what I have brought is perhaps best shared with you alone. Kakita Barahimi smiled gently from where she sat by the hearth. 
I do not wish to intrude upon the tribulations of your clan. Allow me to step outside while you deliver your report. At that moment, Sunuri's stomach growled loudly and her face flushed. Barahimi stood, adding, I think it would be best if I got you a meal as well. Thank you, Lady Kikita. Sunuri offered Barahimi a perfunctory bow as the noblewoman put away her composition and made her way to the tent flap, where two guards escorted her out. I will admit I am surprised to see her here, where your most confidential military strategy is devised, Sunuri said once Barahimi was gone. Suko shook her head. You are not the only one. Were she not as skilled with a blade as she is with a brush, perhaps it would be safe to let her wait out the snow with Lord Isabo and Yojin no Shiro. But I promised to keep her under my protection, and she has more than proven herself as a traveling companion. And for as long as I must delay resolving our grievance with Kikita Yoshi and forestall vengeance against Doji Hataru. A cloud fell over Suko's face, and she looked down to the hearth. I wish Arasol was here. He always knew what needed to be done. After an uncomfortable pause, Sunuri offered, You are as capable a warrior as he was. I have no doubt that you can lead us out of this schism and restore the Lion Clan's good name. For the first time, Sunuri saw pain in her champion's eyes. Pain and grief. The suffering of a woman to whom closure had been denied too many times. Though her kimono bore intricate patterns of woven golden flowers, the firelight washed them into a single plain amber. She looked, in that moment, less like the champion of a great clan, and more like a woman huddling by the fire in a cold darkness, lost and alone. Sunuri produced the scroll case she had brought with her and offered it to Suko. She had a report to deliver and there were details Suko needed to hear. My lord, I have come to you with updates from the Unicorn Warfront. Most recently, we failed to recapture Four Roads Village after Commander Kayasuke was overrun. While I was unable to rescue the commander, I was able to recover his records so that they stayed out of the hands of the enemy. Some of them have given me cause for concern, and I wish to share them with you. Matsusuko took the scroll case and opened it, laying them out among the papers that already covered the nearby table. As she scanned the scroll's contents, Sonori explained the problems she had been facing. The loss of Commander Kayosuke at Four Roads Village, their precarious hold on certain captured unicorn villages, her soldiers' lack of supplies, and the cost of that supply shortage on her army's ability to succeed. Suko's brow furrowed as she listened to Sonuri's report. The orders and messages sent to Commander Kaisuke by Ambassador Ujiaki are of special concern to me, as he clearly knew that my troops suffered from a lack of supplies. Yet nothing was ever done to secure our supply lines. All I heard from him, and from Ikomo Anakazu, was that we were to press the offensive and rely on the land. It sounds now like you and your forces were fully supplied. If that is true, then why was nothing sent to us? While she was still poring over the scrolls, a scowl unconsciously began to turn the corners of Suko's mouth. 
Are you accusing Ambassador Ujiaki of betraying the lion and attempting to get you and your soldiers killed? Accusing Lord Anakazu, your own father? We don't think of each other like that. Anymore. General and Lord, nothing more. The mention of her father brought up fond memories that only hurt more for his absence. He had been someone who always shared her excitement. From finding a quail in the grass when she was a child to her rapid advancement within the Okoto War College. But she did not want to think of him now, certainly not while she and Suko attempted to resolve this crisis that hung over their clan. The loss of him was still too raw. I make no accusations, Matsuue, Sunuri responded shakily. I merely wish to understand why the leadership of the clan seemed to be abandoning me. Again. I knew nothing of the supply shortages you describe. Suko answered. Had I known, I would have ordered a redistribution of the clan's resources to better support your campaign. When we assaulted Kikita Palace, my army fought at full strength, and with the element of surprise. It is why we were successful. It felt like the answer she had been expecting since she read Kaisuke's records, but Sunuri didn't feel any more at ease for it. Given that Ujiaki has manipulated events to drive my armies toward further aggression toward the Unicorn— I cannot believe that this campaign is fully justified. I, my soldiers and I will fight as long as we have to, but their lives should not be wasted fighting a war that advances his ends, whatever they may be. It would be a debasement of not only my troops, but also what the Lion Clan stands for. Suko turned her gaze on Sunuri, her eyes now burning with renewed wrath. What you say is bold, General, but it is also correct. Whatever his faults, Totori would not renounce his titles for a lie. That means that our soldiers, and those of the Imperial Legion, now stand behind a usurper. What you have shared with me only furthers that belief. The champion stepped back from the table, Ujiaki's message to Kaisuke still in her hand. We cannot allow Ujiaki to destroy what our ancestors have worked so hard to build with this clan. Suko began to pace. Recall your soldiers from the Unicorn Front and ready them to march on the capital. I will do the same. The forces of the Lion must march unified behind one champion, even if that means Arasu's justice will have to wait. And as for the Unicorn? Let them reclaim their own lands while the snow constricts them. Once we stand again with a clear honor and purpose, perhaps we can settle the Shinjo's insult for good and move past such bloodshed as you have been forced to endure. The memory of the Unicorn Scout lurked in the back of Sunuri's mind. If we leave this territory for the Unicorn, our lands will surely be overrun while we defeat Ujiaki. I should have ordered Biona to strike them down before they could report our position. But the certainty that Sunuri had felt then, was still present in her mind. Each time they struck at Alton Sarnai's forces, the unicorn retaliated. If Suko and Sunuri were to defeat Ujiaki and unify the clan, as they both wished, they could not do it with Shinjo Alton Sarnai still poised to attack. With respect, Matsuue, I do not think they will regroup in their own lands. If we leave Shinjo Alton Sarnai an undefended border, she will take it as an opportunity to invade. That is how they do war. What would you do to secure that border? Suko asked. 
If we negotiate with them, their champion will listen, Sunuri replied. She feared Suko would be loath to ally with their enemies, but Akoma lands lay close to unicorn territories, and Sunuri knew much of the unicorn champion's reputation. They are only in this fight because we have continued to engage them in combat and make demands that they did not agree to. I believe that if we allied with them, Shinjo, Alto, and Sarnai would not only retreat from the border, but perhaps even join us in the fight against Dujiaki. That is a bold presumption. I know, but I believe Ambassador Ujiaki is behind much of this conflict. If we present this to the Unicorn Champion, she will listen. As she stalked to the door of the tent, her hand still gripping Ujiaki's scroll, Suko fell silent. Lost in thought, she wandered to the hearth and looked down into the coals. This time, the light that fell upon her kimono turned her flowing brown hair into a golden shawl about her shoulders. Sunuri spoke again. This conflict has seen too many samurai on both sides dead. If we give them the opportunity, the unicorn will do the right thing. Matsusuko considered the coals for a moment longer, then looked to Sunuri. Gone now was the doubt and pain that had plagued her before, replaced with a resolute fury. Very well. I wish to see our clan made whole again, and if that means we must negotiate with our enemies, then that is what we will do. Tomorrow we prepare. We will put your theory to the test, or we will fight.'